from a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei. The people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. Later this hour, we'll take you over to Hashtag Taiwan, Taiwan Explained, and In the Spotlight. But we begin, as always, with a new episode of Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. If you're just joining us on our Facebook live stream, today is Wednesday, October 4th. Otherwise, if you're joining us via shortwave, it's Thursday, October 5th. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today is Natalie Tso. Hello, and I have to say hello to Douglas North and Andrew Wong, who are writing in right now. Okay. <laughs> well, up ahead, we've all heard about the sharing economy, right? But could eating utensils become the next thing you can share? Ooh, we'll be telling you about an experiment in Taoyuan, then a sheep show at a Taiwanese tourist ranch that's causing controversy and lost and found. Three precious rings, one of them including an engagement ring that Ooh. contains a 0.7 carat diamond, wow. have turned up by a reservoir. We'll be telling you about that lost and found story, too in just a moment. Yes, uh, plastic waste has been in the news again recently, and uh, Taoyuan, a city just outside Taipei, has a, a new solution on Monday. The city announced a dining utensil lending service. It's trying to, uh, it says make recycling more effective, but I don't think they're recycling anything. It's just to present, prevent people from uh, using disposable utensils. Um, so to borrow these cups and containers from participating stores, you have to sign up to their uh, friendly container Line account. Line is a popular messaging app here in Taiwan, much like WhatsApp uh, or what else is there in other parts of the world. Um, and it's free of charge, actually. Um, and you don't have to wash them, actually. The restaurants or other places you borrow them from have to do that for you. Uh, and oh, people are saying we have audio difficulties again. Oh, we often have audio difficulties. <laughs> they can't hear us. What is going on here? Oh, dear. Well, that's live radio for you. Um, and it says here that it's a pretty astonishing. 92,726 tons of paper and plastic containers get thrown away in Taoyuan alone each year. That's about 300 million cups. Can you imagine that many cups? I have a difficult time I doing that. I can't imagine. Um, and uh, that's according to the mayor, actually, during a news conference. And, uh, well, they've kind of taken inspiration from well, these very, they're kind of buzzwords, but I think that they have, a, they do something good, actually, these circular and sharing economies. So they, they said, you know, the city has more than 9,000 U-bikes, you know, uh, so why not extend that to eating utensils? Um, at first, only 10 businesses are going to be taking part in the program. Uh, which isn't a lot, but uh, and they're going to have 500 containers and 3,000 cups. Again, when you consider that the 300 million people throw away there every year, that's not very many. But uh, they're going to expand that 
uh, before the end of this month, there's going to be 81 participating stores. And if you use the system, you can earn raffle points for various prizes. Um, it seems to have worked well. Uh, the general waste management section uh, has actually been using this uh, system internally. I'm not sure how. Maybe they have some restaurants that they own. For takeout drinks and lunchboxes, it's had uh, quite a bit of success there. So, uh, well, now we can hear ourselves. Um, so, yeah, uh, it sounds like, uh, would you would you participate in this program, especially if prizes were involved? Maybe. I mean, there's so many programs like that wherever we go. I'm like, every store has all these stickers and all these different ways of collecting things to give you a prize. So it has to be something that would um, motivate me to, yeah. It would have to be a good prize, It has to be a good prize, yes, definitely. Yeah. I'm sorry about the audio difficulty, I think. It's been resolved. It's been resolved. Thanks Thank to you, our troubleshooting Leslie team. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That should be Leslie's new nickname, the troubleshooter. <laughs> Thanks, Leslie. <laughs> the resolver. Okay, um, up next, as promised, uh, for those of you who heard, a controversial <laughs> sheep shearing show. That's, okay. a lot of, that's a lot of sh sounds. Yes, well, first look at the cute little sheep. I mean, there's a farm that's really high up on the mountains, about 1,750 meters above sea level. And it's called the Qingjing Farm. Oh, it's I've been very there. famous. It's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, yeah. um, there's a lot of sheep droppings. The sheep <laughs> just kind of I wander mean, that's around. What sheep do. I mean, they're just like people, they're, right? They're I mean, pretty free. They kind of just wander everywhere. Yeah, I think. I mean, you know. So there are a lot of sheep in the farm. It's a beautiful farm with lots of hills, and you can, you know, see the mountains. It's a gorgeous view. It's a gigantic farm, and a lot of B and Bs in the area. It's a great place for vacation, anyway. They have like a fake castle. Like very Cinderella looking. It's like an English castle, and it's very um, it's very high end too. And there's some like chattels or chat. A lot of it's things. Very, it makes you want to yodel. Europe. It makes it's, you want to yodel. It's very alpine. Yeah, it's it's a great place to go, especially nice and cool in the summertime. It is. But um, some animal rights activists are not happy with the way that she are being treated during the shows. And basically, I mean, I guess in, there's been mixed reactions to mm. these complaints, but they started a petition that has over 2,000 signatures already. And once it hits 5,000, then they need an official response. So basically, the show during the show, the um, performers pull up the sheep's mouth to reveal how many teeth they have, which, can, which is the way you can tell how old they are. Also, they hold them down to share their wool. And they place the wall on their heads to confuse them or to, you know, to make them laugh, to make on, the audience laugh. To, to make they the put, sheep they laugh. put the wool on whose heads? Their own or the sheep's? The sheep's. Oh. Yeah. So maybe that's not so nice. Is that so traumatizing? Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what they're saying. That, you know, that's traumatizing and that's, that's not nice, you know. So, you know, you're hurting the sheep, you're scaring the sheep. And sometimes, um, actually, the sheep have banged their heads on the fences when a shepherd dog chases them around during the show. So that's not... Um, I guess they're showing how the shepherd dog shepherds the sheep, mm -hmm. but sometimes they get share, uh, scared. I'm not sure. What do you think? Do you think it's I have not seen this so particular bad? show? I mean, I don't know. So there are mixed reactions. Some some say it's not a big deal, you know, and but while others say the poor sheep, you know, they're being chased around, they're being like uh, 
um, you know, harassed. No. Well, there was lots of alternative entertainments there. I did see a, a horse riding acrobatics. It was sort of like he was in sort of Mongolian dress, this guy, jumping. Oh, and they did. They have lots of different shows there. There's, Actually, um, you know, the farm has been checked out about how they treat the sheep in general, and they do treat them well. They just kind so, of wander. I mean, there's no fences. Yeah, it's, there's no, um, you know, uh, animal rights uh, violations in terms of the way they're I mean, treated on a general uh, in a general way, but I think um, perhaps they can make some adjustments to the you know performance, so they the sheep won't be so bothered. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> they, the they they shouldn't pull the wool on their eyes or something. The, sh- the wool came off their that. bodies. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pulling them down, Maybe. I guess. But isn't that standard? But practice? that's standard because or else they're going to move around when their their wool is being sheared, right? Mm. So. I don't think it's I a big know. deal. What do you guys think? Do you think that these sheep shows should be canceled? Should they be changed? We should at least see a video clip or something to make up our minds, probably. But uh, yeah, I don't know. So, it's hard to tell um, from the, from just hearing a description. But uh, right. I can see why it could be controversial. But, you know, I do think it's nice that a lot of people in Taiwan really care about animals. This is true. This is definitely uh, an animal-loving nation here. Right. And we've grown in that. I mean, I remember a while back, you know, abandoned dogs and cats were a really big issue. They're still an issue, but people are becoming more aware of the rights of animals and caring more for their animals. They're even on Facebook, um, some people I know, they're like a vigilante, like not, <laughs> they're not going to do anything, but like they have, uh, they report on people who abuse animals. If they if they see them like on the street or something, like, yeah, they, they spread Sweet. the word. And you know, you, tell us about your rabbit house he doing he's lazy he's lazy so he has a cute rabbit that he um, adopted from a shelter where john volunteered so john is an animal lover mm, i like rabbits anyway yeah they're adorable <laughs> sheep are so, nice too i guess they they smell a lot less nice than rabbits well, they're really cute too <laughs> so um, people are saying yes they can hear us and um, yes thanks once again to our troubleshooting team Oh, okay. So some people have some opinions about the sheep. All right, let's hear them. Okay, so um, Douglas North says, I don't like sheep being harassed, but it sounds like they like to perform. <laughs> we don't know what the sheep feel about this, actually. We sh- I wish I could we interview should, them. Yeah, let's take a, we have some microphones. I wish they could let's... tell me what they really think. Um, Brothers Dan Rutledge says, if they don't shear, they get weighted down and suffer. Hmm. Um, and Douglas North says, definitely sounds there are a lot of animal lovers in Taiwan. There so. are a lot of there are cat lovers, dog lovers. We have all That's kinds true. of... That's um, true. Our pets are growing the, like crazy. At the Pride Parade, I even saw people with uh, birds, like par- African gray parrots. Really? Like, they have, you see everything. So a lot of, you know, pet owners treat their pets like their children. They're princes I mean, and princesses. They're pampered <laughs> and they're dressed up and they're well, taken around. Yeah, they're taking around in strollers, not me. You but, don't do that? Um, no. <laughs> not a stroller cat no, lady? No, <laughs> but I, we do love our cats so much. The four of us totally dote on our cat, oh. and he's growing really fast. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, save the sheep. I guess that's the message. Yes. I'm not sure how many rings a person needs, but this particular woman seems to be a very big fan of various rings. Um, She lost three of them, including one that uh, contained a 0.7 carat diamond surrounded by smaller diamond diamond fragments. Well, all together with the fragments, it was 0.4 carats. Um, It was custom made. That's too bad. Custom made by a Japanese jeweler. Took three months to complete, and she had two other rings, and lost them all. 
so what it ha- what happened was she was uh, visiting a popular area near uh, Sun Moon Lake in central Taiwan. Uh, specifically, it is a a, a I think it's called the Suisha Dam, a reservoir. And uh, they were taking some photos, I guess. She put them in uh, her pocket while she was applying sunscreen and then oh forgot to put gosh. them back on. I guess they fell out of her pocket. That's awful. She got home. They live in Taichung, fortunately, which is only an hour or so away, that same evening, and realized that all of the rings were missing. They looked, uh, and she was in like a scenic area that's so hard to find. Yeah, near a reservoir. Did imagine if they dropped there? in the reservoir. Oh, yes, right. they did. You, <laughs> that much. I imagine for the amount they spent on all that, they definitely went back. Uh, and what they did was they used pictures they'd taken that day to try and figure, figure out where out they were standing where about they uh, were where they'd gone did she find it and she noticed a, one photo had the three rings in them falling out of her pocket <gasps> so she saw She's, roughly the moment she happily she captured, captured that, that on film <laughs> so or on her phone anyway they drove back search for them but only found one. Oh, they found one that's pretty good it wasn't i don't think the engagement ring though the most that's expensive of the bunch so they called the police to help and to their surprise they got a call the police station got a call that they someone found the rings. The Are you ones. serious? Yes. Someone found the rings? And That's by, awesome. by and by a very strange accident or coincidence How? too. So the person who found the rings was also in the area on vacation with their family, and uh, he was using the flashlight on his smartphone to sort of light the way. I guess it was dark for his daughter who was playing in the grass by the reservoir when he saw, I guess, something shiny and wow. Um, called the police the next day, took the, and then they said, yes, they have received a report of rings matching those descriptions oh and got gosh. them. So yeah, I guess I, she will never take those rings with her to the outdoors again. Well, <laughs> or at least I, keep them on her fingers. <laughs> I would say it shows how nice people in Taiwan are. Mm. You know, a lot of them. I mean, diamond rings, and then the person yeah. you know brings them to the police. They could steal them easily. And it was a nail biter. It was took two weeks between the time she lost them and the time that oh, the I'm sure she gave them up were, by then, right? Had been found. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, um, they want to actually go thank the person who found the rings in person. <laughs> They've already uh, called him to thank him for it. <laughs> That's wonderful. And Jen Delari says someone was looking out for those rings. For those rings, wow. And uh, Douglas North, um, about our last topic, I definitely treat my cat like a child. <laughs> or at least a friend. Yes, we do. He's like our friend. Someone to cuddle too, right? Mm. Very fun to cuddle a cat. But um, I think, you know, it does show how people in Taiwan are quite nice. I mean, I know a lot of people who have lost their wallets and they had them returned to them, either by, you know, the person at the store or by the police or something. This happened many times. One time I had my, uh, my like, visa my, you know, residency, no, the residency visa card, oh. my ID card dropped out of my, someone found that for me too. Oh, that's nice. So, so by that time I would have gotten a new one, but it was nice anyway. Yeah. So, so people will, you know, they won't take things. Well, great news for Beatles fans, not those Beatles, we're talking about the, the insects, um, specifically the rove beetle. Have you heard of this before? No, I haven't. Uh, people in Taiwan generally seem to know about them, but the only thing they know is that they're poisonous. But someone lo- loves here in Taiwan even these poisonous creatures, and uh, they have uh, 
gained attention in the scientific community here. And they're just a student Ooh. because they discovered six previously unknown species in Taiwan. They don't really look like beetles. Yeah, people don't really like them, but this person does. So there's an animal lover for even the grossest animals in oh, Taiwan, gosh. I guess. Um, he's only a third-year student at National Zhongxin University's Department of Entomology. Uh, the first big discovery well, came two years ago for this student. He was helping the N National Museum of Science go through its collection, and he realized that there was a 20-year-old sample in there that no one had bothered to label or name. Um, he took it to Denmark for some reason, as one does, I suppose. There's an expert there who he met oh. with. I don't know how you how you declare that to customs. Like, I got a beetle I sample beetle. here. <laughs> anyway, he learned that the species was unknown to scientists. Um, so that wow. was by luck. That was in a, an existing collection. But on his own, he's since discovered five more species and published 10 papers on his findings, too. Wow, cool. So, uh, yeah, he says one reason, and actually, we have 1,200 known species in Taiwan of the 67,000 world, worldwide. What's interesting about them is that there are more, according to this guy, species of rove beetles than there are of any other living creature on Earth. Really? Uh, yeah. And the reason why there are so many to be found in Taiwan that are unknown is because people just aren't interested in entomology or the study of bugs here. Really? So. But my kids were interested in beetles when they are little. Were you? My no. two boys were. And we bought one for each of them and they died. Like One escaped within a couple of days oh. and one died. So maybe not... We're not very ideal, good at taking care of beetles. Not ideal pets. You're better at cats, so that's okay. Yes, stick we're taking good care of our stick cats. Stick to what you're good at, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, don't let them spray you. They have a strong vesicant in their bodies. I don't know if they spray, but uh, I guess if you touch them, it can cause very serious skin irritation. So not fun, but uh, okay, well... You know, more power to you. <laughs> and we have a fan of Beatles, Douglas North, Do and the Beatles. <laughs> Both of them, okay. Okay, and he said, wow, to the discovery. So I guess okay. he's happy to hear about those new Beatles. No, no word what Sir Paul thinks of this, but uh, well, I guess maybe we'll get some word from him later. <laughs> For a much more tense subject, and sorry to spring this on you so late in the program, um, as of recording time, the results of the U.S. presidential election are still Rolling in the out. air. That's right. Um, um, we don't know. By the time you listen to this tomorrow, if you're joining us on the airwaves, uh, we may have a much better idea of what happened. Uh, Natalie has talked to some people here in Taiwan about their views about what's going on over in the U.S., the madness. <laughs> yeah, so I went to a watch party before I came to work today, and actually I did some you know, reporting to there. have a watch party? Well, a lot of people <laughs> are having watch parties. Some it's, restaurants are having them, some you know, Americans in Taiwan. I went to the Amcham one. It's the middle of the day on a Wednesday. What are people doing? Yeah, these, <laughs> Don't have to well, work? American Chamber of Commerce. So it's one of their events. You have to pay to go and you get some food and wine. Don't people and have so. to work? <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, um, it was like from 10 to 2. So anyway, I went, I talked to some Americans. I talked to some uh, Taiwanese. I do want to let you know what I guess Taiwanese think. Yeah, that's, that's I think what that's I'm probably interested more in. interested in, right? So I think you one, have a good idea what Americans think. There are quite a few. We'll, figure, we'll find out soon enough, right? <laughs> Through all the votes. Oh, boy. Um, so one guy, I mean, he went on, on, on and on. And he said, actually, and I totally agree with what he said. He said that he's actually really nervous about the state of democracy in the United States. Aren't we with all? With all, you know, the protests and the uh, court battles 
Um, you know, he's never seen anything like that. And he says he really hopes that it's a fair election and that democratic institutions are not um, collapsing. And, you know, America Fingers is crossed. the beacon of democracy to the world. And we don't want, um, you know, other countries with author- authoritarian governments like China or <coughs> other places to say, see, look what happens when you have democracy. What a mess it is, you know. It works fine here. Even though I think our democracy is... At That's least if you've watched the right. legislature, even messier. Well, so yeah. as 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 bad as it is in the States, I've never seen like Nancy Pelosi throw a water bottle at someone. That's something that happens here <laughs> yeah, all the time. They're more civilized there. That's true. But I think it's been pretty scary, you know, the news like, I've never heard about a, what, you know, um, how the elections uh, or ballots like, may be, you know. But um, suppressed and, and voter suppression and like and Mitch like McConnell that. and Chuck Schumer have never like grabbed each other's ties. I that mean, would that's be a sight to see, right? So, over the yeah, podium. So we still have a lot to work everywhere. on in terms of uh, <laughs> being a little bit more civilized in our legislature, don't we? But I think we are probably a little bit more intact as far as institutions go at this point. Right. I mean, our elections went very well this January, and so I, I hope they're very much the same for the U.S. And and you know, people in Taiwan are concerned because we are like-minded countries. And that we both value democracy and we hope that democracy continues to be upheld and to be mm. a beacon to this world, right? Well, so, um, you know, so local Taiwanese are watching in terms of how well this election is going to play out in terms of, the, you know, the process. Well, That's one thing ways, they're concerned about. A lot of ways, the U.S. is basically the guarantor of our democracy here. So That's true. As and they go, I mean, are we heading in the same direction? You'd have to wonder. We're oh, not quite as polarized, I don't think, though. You know, I mean, another thing that is on most people's mind, uh, no matter who they want to win, is national security. Right. How the next president will affect U.S.-Taiwan-China ties. Will there be more cause for war or less cause for more war? And, and both sides um, believe that their their guy is going to help uh, the region. Like the Biden supporters say, well, he's a, a more calm and steady hand. Um, he'll mm. deal with China in a more level-handed way, and there'll probably be less chance of war. Or, of course, um, Trump supporters think that um, you know he's supported Taiwan very much uh, during his term, so they really appreciate that. Well, re- Senate Republicans have anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So actually, I mean, I think support for Taiwan has um, been bipartisan in the Congress. It has, it has. In fact, there is a raft, a whole raft of bills making their way through at the moment. That's and I, they right. Have, they do have bipartisan support. And it's great to see the growing support for Taiwan. Um, so we, we we do hope that the U.S. continues to support Taiwan, but we do hope for the U.S. to have very uh, fair and peaceful elections um, and we'll for this whole see. process to go smoothly. <laughs> We are. We have our eyes. I mean, we can't even focus on our work. So, no, I have I like mean, seven tabs open on my computer. Yes. It's really not. We're really concerned. This about is the actually elections. a fantastic distraction. I'm very happy that you're all here. We hopefully we can distract you as well if you're in the states and worried. That's right. Douglas North says yes, Natalie. We can learn a lot from Taiwan in regards to democracy, COVID, and many other issues. And um, Joshua Bandia says he's watching here from the Philippines. Also. Um, Douglas says he's very anxious. <laughs> I can t- uh, oh, I'm very anxious about the election. I thought I wouldn't be because I voted early, but today I woke up with a sense of unease and tension. Thanks for your kind words. And Jen Delari says, we're all hoping that it's a fair election. This has been the most harrowing 20 years, and especially the last four years I've ever experienced in my 46 years. Jen Delari, I'm not having a watch party as it's 
as much as it's doom watching. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of what we're doing. It's doom, oh doom watching. And what she says, this here in Taiwan show is a nice little break from the fretting over the election. Okay. You joining us is, is a nice distraction for us as well. So it's good we can help each other out like that. <laughs> yeah. Closing out today, no matter who wins... It sounds like the tech war between the U.S. and China is far from being over. That's right. So our Minister of Science and Technology just came out um, yesterday, and he said that, um, you you know, U.S.-China competition over technology is going to continue, and um, no matter who the next president is. And also, he had some news about our domestic semiconductor suppliers. You know that Taiwan has the biggest um, chip foundry in the world, those little things that make all the mobile phones. Makes the world go round. Makes the world go round. <laughs> is, are made in Taiwan. Most of them are made by TSMC, a very gigantic company, very important company. And um, they say that... Um, we're going to be increasing our local investment. Of course, you know, they're opening a foundry in Arizona. And also, we'll be increasing investment in countries covered by the new southbound policy. So, Southeast Asia mm. is all going to see a lot more uh, investment in the well, high-tech industry here. There's a little silver lining is that Taiwan may, to an extent, benefit from this. That's true. <laughs> our economy has been growing by like 3% in the past um, quarter or so. Than 2%. So, it's pretty good. <laughs> all um, right. But we wish the very best for all of you in the United States. Stay safe. Stay Please cool. Please stay safe. <laughs> All right. For Here in Taiwan, I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Nelly Sao. Stay tuned because coming up next, it's hashtag Taiwan, Taiwan Explained, and in the spotlight. Welcome to Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao. Thank you for joining me. October is Pride Month in Taiwan, and in Taiwan, we're very proud of our LGBT accomplishments. Taiwan legalized same-sex marriage just last year, and since then, over 4,000 same-sex couples got married. October 31st was also when Taiwan held its Pride Parade. Now, it was the only full-scale Pride Parade that was held amid the COVID-19 pandemic. So for this week's Hashtag Taiwan, I thought it'd be appropriate to keep the spotlight on LGBT issues. Now, every year, Taiwan's Armed Forces holds collective weddings for service members to help encourage the fertility rate. This year, there was a big accomplishment wherein two same-sex couples got married at one of these mass weddings. I'm going to talk about it coming up next on Hashtag Taiwan. Don't go away. October is Pride Month, and as one of the most LGBT-friendly countries in the world, Taiwan is not shying away from celebrating Pride. Last year, Taiwan officially made same-sex marriage legal. But we didn't stop there. We're still making great progress despite the COVID-19 pandemic. For one, Taipei will be the only country in the world to host a full-scale Pride Parade since the pandemic began. It will take place in Taipei on October 31st. Halloween! Taiwan also recently hosted the very first Asia Rainbow Ride, a biking event geared toward raising LGBT awareness. Finally, earlier this week, Taipei became the first city in Asia to join the Rainbow Cities Network, a worldwide 
nationwide coalition of cities that promote LGBT-friendly policies. By the way, that Rainbow Street mural is right outside Taipei City Hall. I actually passed by it just as they were finishing it and managed to snap this shot. It felt good knowing that the place where I lived was committed to fostering a friendly environment for all groups of people. Anyway, Taiwan is not letting anything get in the way of LGBT progress. Lawmakers are trying to expand same-sex marriage laws to be more inclusive. But the big story of the week on social media involves Taiwan's army. Since 2014, Taiwan's armed forces have held collective weddings every year to encourage soldiers to help raise Taiwan's fertility rate. In 2019, after same-sex marriage passed, three same-sex couples applied to get married in one of those weddings. But all three withdrew their registration at the last minute due to social pressure. In 2020, however, two same-sex couples will be getting married at this year's army wedding. Meet Wang Yi and Meng Mei, and Chen Yingxuan and Li Lizhen. The Taiwan Army's Facebook page published photos of couples getting married at its collective wedding planned for October 30th. Netizens were supportive of all the brides and grooms-to-be. However, these two same-sex couples stole the show. Their wedding announcements garnered over 40,000 likes, 2,500 comments, and 1,800 shares. Taiwan's major media outlets picked up the story, and the two couples are all over social media. I think it's important to realize just how significant accomplishments like this are for the LGBT community. Kuang Ting Cheng commented on one of the photos, saying, Not only did you make your presence felt, but you also make our voice heard. So, so proud of you. I mean, I love that. A lot. Here's to Wang Mong Chen and Lee. Here's to all the same-sex couples out there hoping for an equal chance at love. You guys deserve nothing but happiness, and as excited as I am for this LGBT first in Taiwan, well, I just hope that one day we can look at something like this and go, just another wedding. And that just about does it for this week's Hashtag Taiwan. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I enjoyed making it. For those of you who don't know, Hashtag Taiwan is part of Taiwan Insider, a weekly television news show produced by Radio Taiwan International. If you'd like to check it out, then head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Taiwan Insider or facebook.com slash Radio Taiwan International. If you prefer YouTube, then of course check out our YouTube channel at RTI. English. You can see our news videos and episodes of Taiwan Insider, as well as extra features. Anyway, until next week, stay safe, stay happy, and stay healthy. I'll talk to you again soon. Now, in the last month or so, we've seen a huge uptick in the number of Chinese jet planes crossing into Taiwan's airspace. That's right. And this past weekend, we also saw 100 Chinese boats surround a Taiwanese island for the first time. It looks like we're surrounded. Those are the words of a man who watches as more than 100 Chinese boats gather in waters near the Taiwanese islands of Mazu. Taiwan's Coast Guard tells the ships that they've entered restricted waters and orders them to disperse. These ships began to gather in the early hours of Sunday morning between the islands of Nangan and Zhuguang.
The Coast Guard informs the ships that they will use water cannons to drive them away. But on Monday, Premier Su Zhentang tells residents of Taiwan's outlying islands not to worry. The government will leave no stone unturned when it comes to protecting Taiwan's territory, he says. From the beginning of 2019 through the end of this September, Taiwan confiscated six Chinese boats and auctioned them off for 5.2 million U.S. dollars, slapping the owners with $245,000 in fines. The government says it will strengthen maritime patrols and apprehend boats illegally entering Taiwan's waters. All this military activity has a lot of media talking about the possibility of war. Is China getting ready to invade Taiwan? It's a great question. And in fact, you asked that of a defense expert, Dr. Right. Li Chen, who is from the Institute for National Defense and Security Research. Let's have a look at what he had to say. Dr. Li, do you think that China could attack Taiwan soon? Um, my answer would be no. Um, the first reason is that the airplane they sent to Taiwan's airspace are not on comeback conditions. And the second one is that uh, we don't see signs of uh, massive military uh, deployment or movement, especially in its uh, southeastern coast. I don't think the PLA is really ready for the so-called all war because we know that if the PLA would like to have uh, very uh, decisive military victory against Taiwan. They need to launch the so-called um, amphibious assault against Taiwan. But experts in the United States, Taiwan, or even China, they agree that um, for the amphibious assault, China is not really ready yet. And they don't have any serious plan to launch that kind of operation against Taiwan. So you mean they're not ready in terms that they don't have the uh, military hardware or... Not enough. Not enough. They have some, but not enough. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and again, I'm with David Ho. But this time we've got uh, his two daughters. There's Claire Ho and then Tiffany Ho. And um, David is the author of a book called Z Generation. Well, it's, that's not the name of the title, but anyway, um, it's about the Z Generation. It means that the people who were born in the 90s, it's talking about how to keep the talents of the 90s, of the people in the 90s who specialized in office design, right? Right, right. Exactly. Okay. Anyway, well, um, I think it would be very interesting to be able to have um, Claire and Tiffany with us because they were born in the 90s. So? Actually, technically, technically not. Technically, but, yeah. Actually, it's after 2000. After 2000. Oh. That's also Z generation. Well, I'm sure that uh, Claire and Tiffany have looked at your dad's awesome creation here. You know, it spent him eight years researching and four years writing this book. Um, I think one thing that I agree with is that he says um, in the book that, like, the bosses born after the 90s are more, like, relaxation areas are, like, bigger than their authority spaces. I think he said that somewhere. I think that shows, like, the the sort of characteristic of people born after the 90s. It's just we're more 
at ease of ourselves, I think, compared to those before the 90s. Mm -hmm. Tiffany, what do you think? Uh, well, one thing my dad talked about, uh, about the characteristics of the people born after the 90s was about how, like, we really like to express ourselves, right? Especially, and I feel like, in part, that's also due to um, the rise of like technology and social media. And on social media, you know, we're like constantly 24-7 expressing ourselves, you know, like posting about where we're at, you know, what we did today. And I feel like not only through social media, but like we wish to express ourselves through like the space around us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what my dad brings to office design. Like he helps 90s kids express themselves better in office space. Mm -hmm. oh. That's because they are Z generation, because they don't read, but they read <laughs> from the mobile. They don't read. <laughs> of course. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Oh, by the way, I forgot to have you guys introduce yourself. Uh, um, I'm Tiffany. I'm 18 years old, and I'm a university student at University of the Arts London. And I'm Claire. I'm 20 years old, and I'm in the same university. Right, except you've already spent a year at the uh, university, yeah. sort of. Well, if it weren't for the COVID. So, um, yeah, like for example, you know, there was, I've always wondered, um, there's something that uh, your dad wrote in here that it seems like young people don't mind spending lots of money in like expensive, really high-class restaurants. And I was really amazed about that. And I realized that, you know, when your dad put this in here, I see why. Because in the past, you know, you have mm. to agree, it says, which means, you know, like uh, go through hardship first before you can enjoy mm -hmm. life. Okay, but it seems like the thing is opposite. It's like totally reversed now. Do you agree? Not that I'm saying that you guys spend a lot of money on food, <laughs> but you know, just in general. I feel like we take the highs or the lows. Like we're not always focused on, oh, we have to struggle. And then that's after, only after the struggle, we can enjoy the good parts. Like. For me, when I'm studying, I don't think like, okay, I have to finish, like, I have to finish studying and then only after that I can, like, hang out with my friends and do the things I actually like. It's rather like, okay, like, I know I can study and then hang out with my friends and I won't feel stressed when I'm hanging out with them because I know, like, I've got the self-control to finish that studying part later. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's but you different do. from our generation. I know, it's different. Yeah, yeah. We need to study in the first place. Right, before after we can study, have fun. And comes more studies, more studies, and then finally we got a little, little time to relax. I know, it's like, that's why there's cram schools in Taiwan, right? And in China, and anyway, so, <laughs> and Singapore probably. But yeah, okay, so, wait a minute. You mean that you guys didn't go through cram school? Like the school after school, school not after normal school. Not really. Not really, right? Basically not at all. I know. Yeah. Well, how kids do. But anyway, <laughs> point. But you do take responsibility. Like you would finish your homework, no matter what time it is, but you know, and you want your parents to trust you in that, right? But you, you also want to make sure that you enjoy life just as much as you know, you put effort into studies. Claire, what do you think? Um, I, I don't know really, because I, I, I know a lot of friends that also procrastinate like really hard. Like they'll do an essay like the night before it's due. But me personally, I don't like to do that because like if I'm, you know, uh, playing video games, I don't want this tiny little voice in the back of my head going like, hey, you still got like this unfinished essay or something. So I like to do my stuff first and then I can like really totally focus enjoy. on like playing video games. Yeah. Uh, 
David, uh-huh. I was just thinking, what kind of things has been most difficult to communicate with your daughters, and how did you overcome those problems together? I don't think we have quite some issues that we couldn't, couldn't talk or couldn't have a conversation. Oh, good for you. Maybe that's my point. <laughs> how about you? I don't think so. Like one of the things that I think, and I think I also speak for Tiffany here, is that. We're very grateful that our dad is easy to talk to, and he's like reasonable. So that's one of the reasons why it's easy to communicate with him. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why. Yeah, knowing knowing your dad. Okay. <laughs> What about Tiffany? In the same position as Claire, I guess. Like it's always been easy to communicate with my dad about like. What we want and what he wants, and because he's so willing to compromise for us, we're more willing to compromise for him. Oh, really? So I feel like like it works both ways. Okay. Can you guys give an example? Both my parents have been more relaxed about like us going out or staying out later. So our curfew basically is like, as we grow up, it's like pushed farther back. Uh huh. And that's one of the things that's been like. Easy for us to compromise right. about. That's, yeah. that's something you appreciate about your dad, right? Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. we still had to negotiate for that curfew. Yeah, <laughs> like they didn't just let us have it. No, we had to like communicate with them. Yeah. We had to negotiate. We had to make our own points. Right. And then like, so how did it go? Can you can, can you recall? But like, for example, like in seventh grade, our curfew was like 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. That's actually like pretty early, like compared to now. Like, I can come home at like 2 a.m. and that would be fine. Ooh, right okay. Oh, okay. Oh, like that's <laughs> okay. Like 2 a.m. Okay. <laughs> I think like because like we're all grown up, and on top of that, Taiwan's like actually a really safe country. Yes. Mm. Like even if we were just to go out alone at night, like the odds of us getting like harmed or attacked are like super low. Mm-hmm. And I feel like like they're reasonable enough to understand that, and they're like they understand that we've also grown up in the process of like ninth grade to twelfth grade to now college. It's nice that they understand that. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Now you both are kind of like studying in the field of design. What's the mentality of people in your generation, in your age group, about design? I mean, looking at design and compared to the design studies of our generation or even older. What do you see? What do you compare as a difference? What kind of design or ideas jump out at you? I feel like how design is different, like than compared to now. It's it's not just about design anymore. Like before, it was like okay, you design a logo, it's just a logo. But right now, you have to think about how that logo fits onto their company's website and how you would perhaps like animate that logo to pop up when you visit their website. So it's not just about pure traditional design. It's also about how design. Like merges with technology and how the two can actually work together to create something that's more than design. I guess like how、um, in my dad's book it says like he uses design as a way to make the '90s generation feel more comfortable about their surroundings and like it can help them with their like work productivity and stuff. Like、mm. that's just not about design anymore. It's about design and lifestyle.、Mm-hmm. So I feel like right now, in terms of design technology. It's much more than it used to be, I guess. Yeah, that's how I feel about design. Yeah, Claire, what do you think?、Um, but I think for our generation, maybe for some people, like if they're de- designing something, our generation has more of a tendency to add their own like characteristic traits into whatever they're designing, whereas before they would just do whatever their client asked them、right. to. But right now, I feel like、uh, artists would. 
have they they like they like they add their own sort of background into it. They give it a little bit of their like their own experience. Well, I can't imagine. That's why I'm not good in design. I'll never get into design. You know, I'm always like really amazed at people like how you come up with designs that you do for our spaces mm. and all different colors. And of course, there's one particular one I'm thinking right now. It's more like a science fiction mm. kind of a UFO kind of smack in the middle of the office space. <laughs> I'm thinking of that one now. Was that what the client wanted? Yeah, it is. It is. It is? It He is. wants something yeah. futuristic. Bring the team into the future. Yeah. Oh, that's what you do. You. Uh, I was just going to say, you think ahead about '90s, the Z generation. That's why you understand them so so better, or not just you, but um, you know, Z generation people so well. My conviction is that there'll always be generation gap from the kids to the parents, right? So, how did you guys work through a generation gap? These kind of issues. With the parents, or even like for you, David, to come to this realization that no matter what you say, no matter what we say, they're not going to totally agree or yeah, yeah. understand what we're saying because they are totally in their own world. And but it's really more learning to respect each other. Like the first thing that comes to mind yes. is between Claire and like my parents, like about her video games. Okay. Do you want to tell them about it? <laughs> um, Put you on the spot. <laughs> I think, yeah, like Tony said, video games. Because um, growing up, my parents didn't, or like the older generation, they didn't have the sort of stuff called like online video games, where you would play with other people in real time, and that's the sort of stuff where it's like you can't pause. You can't just like, you know, pause the game and go do whatever you have to do. If you like. Pause. It doesn't. It just pauses it for you, but like it, other people are still playing. So you know you still get like killed or whatever. But that was one of the things <laughs> where it took me multiple times to get through to my parents because like maybe my mom or my dad would ask me to like go do laundry or something. Yeah. But I was in the middle of a game and I couldn't leave because if you leave, then it's like you, you die. Yeah, and you know your team, uh, your team loses a teammate, yeah. and that could be critical to the game. So then, how did you work through? It. I mean, how did you guys come to a compromise? Do laundry at 2 a.m.? <laughs> no, I usually just go and do it and let myself be killed because I didn't want to risk the wrath of my mother. No. If oh, I want, okay. If I want to ask them to do something. Now I, I will say this. Hey, Claire, I want you to do this after. Half an hour after right. 20 minutes after you stop your game after right. you finish your game, she will do. Oh, okay, that works, right? Mm -hmm. One last thing: What do you guys like most about your dad? Like we've already talked about the compromise and the communication. I think that's already like one really good thing. But like another aspect I really admire about him, I guess, is his. I wouldn't say creativity, but like his. Open-mindedness, mm. and I mean, this is connected to like compromise and communication and whatever. Like when we were young, we would ask questions about the world, like, "Oh, why is the sky blue? Why is the ocean blue? Why is the grass green?" And like one time, we were on a train, right? And then we were looking out the window, and there are all these telephone poles. And we asked him, like, "Hey, Dad, like, why are all these telephone poles out there?" Because like we didn't really have that concept of like telephone lines and um, yeah, revealing lines. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out yeah. In the open, yeah. So we asked him that, and then he told us. Oh, those are the toothpicks of giants. And like he told us, like they use those toothpicks and then they stuck it in the ground. That's why there are telephone poles. And we thought, like, yo, that's super cool, you know. <laughs> so then every time now when I see a telephone pole, like I actually think about that. Really. And like 
there are also many other instances of like where we would ask this really normal question and we'd get this bizarre answer back. <laughs> and then I feel like it helped us a lot, like ourselves developing our own creativity and open-mindedness. So your dad has a real unique sense of humor here. Okay, Claire, is there anything that you really like about your dad? Anything in particular? Um, I think uh, one of the things is his patience. Like I know growing up, like this probably goes the same. Uh, for like all teenagers growing up, but like when you reach that like age of like 14, when you're starting to like turning into a preteen, going to a teenager phase, like that's when you know kids start to be really difficult to deal with. Yes, rebellious. Yeah, and I feel like my dad was very patient. Like compared to how we were as when we were preteens, he was very patient when dealing with us, and I'm very thankful for that. Last thing, any advice you want to give to your daughters about their future? Just go chasing your your dream to fulfill your dream. Cause you know that's world. easy said than done. <laughs> <laughs> But you really do mean it, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it, because uh, the world is yours. Thank you so very much, David and Claire and Tiffany. Thank you. Thank you so much for making time. It's been a lot of fun chatting to all of you. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 6185 kHz. In South Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.